Welcome. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Hey, tonight we have another very interesting show dealing with science and, uh, of course, metaphysics as it applies to health and, uh, well, put it into the general category of how in the future we're going to be able to treat and cure ourselves better than we have up to this time and not relying so much on what we think of today as uh, medicine. Some people call it patent medicine because it tends to be drugs that are protected by patents. But in, in reality, those drugs that we use today will be looked upon in the past as uh, as mostly mistreatment. And that that's going to be something that uh, we'll talk about tonight, but in addition, the object of tonight's show is to talk about what's going to come from a new science that I call Phi uh and herbology in general, and how uh, electromagnetic uh, energies that are part of the physical body and somewhat represented in other energy types in the astral particular body will be uh, part of the new medicine and part of a new way of looking at how to help heal people of all kinds of illnesses, particularly chronic illness. Uh, Chronic illness today is virtually untreatable by most of the modern, quote-unquote, drugs that are available on the market. They, the drug sometimes alleviates some symptoms for a while, but at the cost of introducing new ones that oftentimes do not particularly, um, over time, lead to a longer life expectancy and do not sometimes lead to a, even a better quality of life after a relatively short and brief <laughs> period of time in which they may seem to be doing some good. So let's talk about what is the science of IT. Uh, I have covered this several times in different shows, but tonight it's going to be completely more scientific and more about where it's headed and what it could be used with to make it uh, much better. Okay, there is in order to for the physical body, and this would be true of the astral body. We would be talking about a different array of energies, but it's still the same concept. There is a balance of energies that must be maintained uh, in the physical, etheric, and the also the astral body. And the mental, too, but that's uh, so uh, way out there and so difficult to describe until we have a foundation that I'm not going to cover that until later in the show. But for right now, we're talking about the uh, etheric, physical, and the astral. And uh, to maintain these energies properly, uh, human beings have uh, the use of food and the energies that are pretty much unknown that are part of the upper atmosphere of the planet. And those uh, those energies are the dominant factors that allow us to either stay alive and healthy or not. Now, these are energies. They're not spirit. It isn't, this isn't like talking about, well, 
if a person's spiritual, they'll necessarily going to be healthy, etc. Actually, spirit causes energy to change because energy follows thought greater than its own, and spirit is a usually greater source of thought. But it doesn't directly affect these energies. It only in a, we'll call it sideways, so to speak, ways of affecting energy in general does it affect these energies. The energies I'm referring to are pranic energies, which are kind of the masculine side of the energy spectrum. They come from the etheric part of the sun, the electromagnetic part of the sun, and all kinds of, uh, we'll say, different forms of energies that we are unfamiliar with and have not been recognized yet by modern-day science are part of these energies called pranic energies. Uh, I've only revealed a couple of them in only in brief ways. Uh, the pranic energies that come from the sun uh, reach our planet in a matter of minutes. Uh, most people aren't aware of that. Uh, and they, they travel... Uh, they usually travel somewhere less than the speed of light. Uh, they travel somewhere between half the speed of light and the speed of light as we understand the speed of light, uh, which is really less than the etheric speed of light. And part of the reason is that the energies themselves are not fully enlightened. They are when they're rejoined together after reaching Earth if they are kept in balance. But while they're traveling here and released from the sun, they are released in different proportions. And some of the solar wind and other parts of the sun's uh, activity um, uh, produces these energies. But there's also some parts that comes from the more inner part of the sun. But regardless, these energies, only when they're joined together properly, do they really attain enlightened speed which means do they enlighten us? So when they reach the top of our atmosphere, I'll give you one of those that uh, you may be familiar with, which is ultraviolet light, changes the chemistry of the upper atmosphere, and uh, uh, it allows there to be uh, ozone, which protects us from ultraviolet light. Uh, and uh, the pranic aspect of that, which is a third-ray prana, has to do with how ultraviolet light uh, affects uh, oxygen, and this is coming from various, um, we'll say, energies coming from the sun that we are unfamiliar with. Now, this may be confusing to some people, because a lot of people say, well, it's just very simple if you shine ultraviolet light on oxygen, you know, it'll create uh, an ozone, which is O3 instead of O2, by a form of chemistry which is related to fusing of uh, parts of the atoms. But it's not fusion that's radioactive, per se, but it is a kind of chemical fusion. Well, that's all true, except nobody really understands what that means. They really don't. If you get down to the subatomic level, some of it almost doesn't even make sense unless you understand that the phase aspect of what's coming from the sun is different than the phase 
which we normally attribute to the frequencies of the ultraviolet light, as an example. And so you might have ultraviolet light that's uh, 260 nanometers, which is one of the more intense forms of ultraviolet. Um, and that type of ultraviolet light is, is pretty good at uh, wiping out a lot of bacteria. But here's, here's the thing about it that's really strange, is that when it's coming from the sun, uh, it is at a phase that is different than what we can create here in our laboratory, and we don't know that. <laughs> so the ultraviolet light that's coming from the sun is not the same light that we use in experimental models to see what happens to the chemistry of atoms and so on. And so this is the shocking difference, is that um, most of the energy coming from the sun, not all, uh, is uh, the phase that we are unfamiliar with. Now, here's the neat little trick about this. These pranas are absorbed in our bodies by centers, and we've got a whole bunch of them. Men may have almost 350, and women may have over 370 uh, centers in their bodies. And so, you know, you get some kind of really strange uh, differences going on, you know, that are, are, are kind of odd. And by the way, that, that those numbers can vary depending upon uh, certain factors. So you get you get into these really odd things, uh, like as an example, if, if a woman is pregnant or not, you actually have some extra centers. And it's, it's really crazy how, how the whole thing uh, works out. And most of the centers do not have consciousness. They don't have a spirit sphere inclusive in the center. That means the center has to be connected to one of the major centers called chakras that does have a spirit sphere. And the spirit sphere has to have energy uh, that is being absorbed by, uh, by the center that is at the phase of the spirit sphere itself, or close to it, in order to be used properly. Okay, so I hope you're following this. So the sun is putting out energies that, some of which are correctly, or within the ballpark, of being close to what our spirit spheres are in our centers. And uh, some of it isn't. But when we create, most, in most cases, replicas of what we think of as this light, we only measure the nanometer, as an example, frequency of the light without being concerned about its phase. Now, the phase is an angle or direction uh, that is specific to uh, the wave. And that is, creates a very different effect in the centers of life forms. And human beings uh, require that this phase be pretty close to the phase that they use in order to maintain health in both the minor center, the ones that don't have the spirit sphere, and of course the major center that they have to be connected to that does have the spirit sphere. And the minor centers can absorb more energies that are not in correct phase but over time will become diseased if they 
centers are unable to keep the minor centers in balance when the differences are there between the major centers' spirit sphere and the minor centers' energy sphere, which is, in a way, sort of part of the major center by an extended uh, amount, and connected by, in human beings, at least, by a thing called the native system, which is kind of a, a replica of the nervous system. Of course, it's the reverse. The nervous system is a replica of the native system. And the native system carries these energies through our body. Very interesting stuff. Okay, so, if you really want to measure whether or not a person is able to get the correct chronic energies for the sun, as an example, you would need to have a device that not only measures the uh, wavelength of the energies that are moving in and out of, of the body from the sun, which comes from the upper atmosphere. And you have to know what those energies are because I haven't identified them for the most part because uh, the dark side could, at this particular time, use some of this information to weaponize it and use it to be destructive towards others. So I'm not revealing that until I think it's appropriate. And no other source I know of has an accurate description of this, so that's good. It's, you know, at this point, that knowledge would be dangerous. But the point is that someday that will not be true and that someday is coming upon us within the next 30 years or less. So I'm talking about some of this tonight as though we're going to eventually get there. Hopefully we will. All right. So the the energy that is coming into the body from the sun is a prana, and it would normally uh, mix with the prana of the food that we eat. And this is a very interesting uh, concept. The food provides some pranic value. Okay, it has some of this energy that was absorbed in it. If it's directly from plants, it's much more efficient. If it's from animals that eat the plants, that generally has uh, less efficiency to it. It depends on the source of what kind of animal product it is. An egg that's unfertilized is pretty much similar to a plant, but if you eat a chicken, that's not especially a chicken that has been tortured and not had any prana from the sun directly pouring upon it. You know, if it's been virtually in prison, it's going to have a, a lot of off-phase energy that is not good for it or for us. Now, what does this food do? The food provides uh, a type of energy that allows movement in the body, but most importantly, it helps to grow organs and keep them in the proper uh, condition. And it allows us to create hormones uh, from glands that communicates important messages back and forth in our body and balances out the in activity of all of the organs. So we need these. We need these um, energies for this purpose. The original source is food, but the food is uneven. Uh, even if you ate two plants that would look pretty close to being the same, 
one might have more prana than the other and in a different phase because they didn't get the same amount of sunlight, they didn't have the right same growing conditions. Maybe it got infested by some uh, insects or bacteria or mold that took away some of the prana before we got it. And so it, because we mix, eat mixed values of prana, um, we get some direct prana from the sun, which has to balance this out. Now, you don't have to be outside standing in the sun to get it. But if you go into a cave or some other kind of place like that, and you live there for a very long time, uh, like months, then you will get much less prana, and the result could be they'll have interesting ideas. All right. What about people who live in uh, the, the poles and part of the year there's no sun at all? Well, there is still prana from the sun, even at the poles. So, believe it or not, even though the sun may not come up, there's still some prana there, although certainly a, a lack of it. And then a lot of people who live at the poles, in addition to getting the lack of prana, uh, live in virtually underground or surrounded by a building because it's too cold. And uh, some people have adjusted to this kind of thing, like Eskimos. But other people, like scientists that go to south to the South Pole, they may find it very stressful on them and difficult to maintain product, uh, uh, correct product, product value. Wow. Probably didn't know a lot of this stuff, I know. So there are these seven kinds of product issues, and there may be even subtypes. There are subtypes of product. But the most important thing to realize at this point is that virtually nobody knows this. I mean, okay, yeah, it's part of Indian medicine. It's talked about in Chinese medicine. But they don't understand it. I mean, they, don't, they couldn't explain it the way I'm explaining it. I don't think I've read it explained this way. So, you know, it's, 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 it's one of those things that, yeah, probably a long time ago, before it was history, people knew about it. But it's become lost. Okay, so that's the pranic issue, and the prana is uh, mostly um, mostly transferred through the various centers by a very important, almost as important as a major center, but minor center in itself, called the spleen center, and it helps through using the spleen to, at times, not always, uh, to redistribute uh, pranic. Uh, energies, particularly uh, during and right after we eat food. That's an important time for the spleen to do that. Some of the time, the spleen then plays a double role, and it's also making antibodies and helping to build our immune system, uh, which is very important as well, and it does, does that when it's not processing food. So if you eat all the time and you're ill, uh, you may weaken your immune system. And some people, animals in general, don't eat very much while they're physically ill. That's the reason why. All right. They don't consciously know that, but they respond. Your system responds that way. So, where does that lead us to? Well, this is important information because it begins to become a new science once you understand what's going on with prana. And I'm going to switch now gears 
that comes from the spirit of the earth, and it begins as uh, energy from the spiritual plane, <laughs> the atomic plane, way up there, way beyond, beyond what humans can think or function. You know, we have no, no operative uh, issues with it at all. We don't have anything to do with it. Except the lo- three lowest subplanes of the spiritual plane produce the kundalini energies, uh, the first of which, which is called Pangala, is also referred to traditionally for a long time as chi. And what does chi do? Well, chi uh, of the three kundalinis uh, is the energy that is considered just the feminine energy of life in general. And this chi energy, now remember, it sort of balances out the pranic energies. And what it does is it, it tries to do exactly what its name implies. It balances energies from one minor center to another, or dozens of minor centers to each other, and then also among the major centers. Now the chi is really interesting, because while it is technically a feminine energy, it works on both male and female uh, sides of the uh, we'll call it chakras and also the minor centers. And so it has a different role to play in each one of those instances. It also is an energy that has a phase that is not the same as its frequency is when we look at it in terms of electromagnetic or etheric frequencies. Uh, Qi is dominated by the super etheric, uh, we'll call it, frequencies, and therefore it is dominated by plants. So plants plants, uh, provide a majority of the Qi. Can you get Qi from the fourth uh, subplane energies? There's a small, a very small amount that is available from certain crystals that can provide, which are part of this is part of the fourth subplane, provide energies that uh, will uh, give you certain amounts of uh, boost in cheese. But you have to know what crystals, etc. And that's a whole other show which I'm not going to go into tonight. I'm just telling you about it. And then uh, from the um, second and first etheric subplanes, those subplanes. Uh, tend not to deal with the chi energy. They deal with the other kundalinis, two other kundalinis, which is um, Ida and Shashumi. Those are the two other kundalinis. And those those energies are not meant to just balance the centers. They are meant to unify the centers. Unify the centers. The Ida, the, the second Kundalini um, is the energy that uh, unifies the centers within a single body, and predominantly, it can it does do some unifying among the other two bodies, the astral and the man, uh, but not uh, is not the dominant energy in doing that. The shushuma, energy is a energy that is uh, more, it does some unifying within each body, but it 
dominated by the unifying of the energies in all three bodies. And when you use all the energies together, they burn off the webs between the bodies and they balance, besides unifying, the energies in all three bodies. Then, So they unify and then balance all the energies in the bodies. When you do that, you're no longer a human being. You have become a superhuman or a member of the next kingdom of souls, and you're a living soul. So that's, that's how you do that. All your centers, which major centers, which is 21 in total between the three, three bodies, uh, that's if you take the, and add together the lower and higher mental centers together. You end up with um, uh, a being with actually like one giant center, one giant sense of all. You sense God, and through God's sense, you sense everything else, and you are uh, you are an enlightened being because you're sensing everything at the speed of light. Okay, well that's terrific. Uh, that's good to know. So the chi that we're talking about is the first kundalini, pinga, which is a, a chi energy that is really a, a part of everything in the world around us because without it, life could not sustain itself because it would lose the balance of the pranas and uh, people would literally keel over and die, and it moves freely in and out of our centers and bodies. It doesn't just stay in the body and balance the centers. It has to actually move through the bodies and go back to the earth. And so it is all around us all the time, and it is affected by imbalances even in the environment itself, the physical environment, and those imbalances are, uh, are handled by principles of feng shui, which generally supplies nine different ways of trying to balance the chi so that the environment provides the best, we call and healthiest chi environment for our centers to absorb and to use the chi and then to expel it back into the, uh, into the surroundings, which eventually goes back to the spirit of earth. And it just keeps circulating. As long as chi is moving at a constant rate and consistent with the proper phase, as well as frequency, people stay healthy and they grow and they prosper. And the centers become more prone to becoming uh, beautiful, which is very important. So everything works. The enlightenment process is good if you get that going. And the the main source of chi in the food weed again comes from uh, plants. Plants uh, absorb the chi directly from uh, the earth. And that's where they get most of their chi from. Some they get from the surrounding uh, ear and other environmental uh, factors. Sometimes from other plants, and they get it directed to them from the air and other plants by divinic beings that help to get the chi properly given to them so that the plants are nutritious to us and have proper amounts of chi within them. So plants have prana from the sun and they have chi from the earth and that's how they generally live. Most plants get their chi from those two sources. Some plants don't. Some plants get their 
of the eel and from other plants, as I said. So you've got to look at this and say, there's exceptions, but then there's the general rule that most plants get it just from the ground. That's the most convenient, easiest source to get it from. All right, well, that's pretty fascinating. So all of this leads us to what the heck is 5G. Well, 5G is trying to get plant uh, G to be able to be concentrated in uh, a herbal formula, we'll call it, that allows certain chi energies to balance themselves in bodies that are imbalanced in certain ways. The perfect Phi Chi formula would do it for all centers perfectly all the time, and uh, the problem with that is that would be like uh, completely regulating every food somebody eats, everything, everything that is in, and uh, and even then it would be a complicated system, one which we're, of course, not uh, attempting at this particular time. That The most important part of 5G has yet to be developed, but I am going to suggest that this is the next step in order to get up to the point where 5G can be used by more than myself or a few other people that I know. It needs to be... Um, it needs to be literally cataloged and computerized in a system of some sort uh, where uh, a measurement is taken by, uh, by equipment that can measure both G and prana. Of course, we're going to have to know what those phases are of those things, and that information is not yet available, but it will be. And that, um, that information would tell us where the imbalances are without having to ever do any invasive procedures. We just use this device to measure the electromagnetic energies emitted, uh, sort of like a super version, you know, of, <laughs> of Carillion photography, but way, way beyond that. And that's recorded and then analyzed about where the phase problems exist and where the amount of chi and the amount of prana is not correct. And then you could literally, the same equipment that's like a supercomputer of some sort, we could calculate using a program developed for it what the right ratios are of different kinds of, we'll call them herbal plants in general, I mean, and then... Uh, the plants themselves can be measured and even slightly altered to fit the needs in electro, using electromagnetic uh, energy generators to meet the needs of each individual person. In other words, this is a tailored, custom tailored system that uh, would create a five chi formula for each person with various different parts of them that are in need of various formula of formulas that uh, would treat their unhealthy conditions and fairly quickly, in a matter of days to months, uh, would change the person to a healthy state of, of proper amounts and balance in chi and prana. Wow. Now, that's a science. <laughs> that's a little bit different 
than anything we presently have may be major difference. And the funny thing about it is that I'm not even sure the FDA would have a right to control this in this country because this is we're talking about this in terms of it, of it being food. Now, they may construct it to be, well, you're modifying the herbs, aren't you? Well, if they have any clue about what that what that's happening, maybe. Maybe for a decade or more, it might be necessary to not let them know what's happening, because they wouldn't be able to figure it out. And um, just do this thing and uh, have people get better, and then maybe worry about the overall consequences, or do it someplace other than here in the United States. That's a legal situation, and for right now, tonight's show, we'll just leave it as a comment more than a program of any sort. The biggest issue really is when is it appropriate to get this information out, including making this device which would have to reveal the proper values for prana and chi, including phases, which uh, could be created into a weapon, or numerous kinds of weapons, that would be extremely dangerous. So we've got to be quite careful that this won't happen. I have some plans for it, but I'm not going to talk about those now. And the other thing to remember is that the tendency on planet Earth at the present time, and probably for some time in the future, is to make things that are really discovered into weapons. It isn't just an idle idea that this could happen because it's actually happening all the time. There's a part of the United States called the Dharma, part of the military, that that's all they do is to try to find weapons from any new discoveries that have been uh, found. So that's, you know, that's our job. So, so, but we aren't trying to do that. We're trying to do the reverse. We're trying to get people to become healthy and well. And the question is, how effective would such a system be, which I'm going to go much deeper into after uh, we take a break, but how effective would this system be um, if we were enacted? And I'll give you some ideas about of the chronic ailments, which are the ones that we can't deal with very much. Uh, of the chronic ailments, we would have about a 96 to 7% success rate, in my opinion, of treatment, meaning that we would get rid of that if, for each person that availed themselves of this form of treatment. Why wouldn't it be 100% if we're being scientific about it? Well, because even though there's a science to it, human beings can still eat bad things and still do bad things with their behaviors that may lead them to undo or, uh, let's say, in some way adversely affect the treatment. And there's nothing to do about that. Now, I'm saying that most people, like, Nearly all people would want to become healthy, and they wouldn't go through this sort of thing if they were warned otherwise and do it unless they were going to at least maintain some level of discipline in using it. So I think that that would be a fair example, and it doesn't mean that it would 
last all the time for everybody. They would have lapses and other things. But in terms of extending life expectancy, 50% or more. That's my opinion. I think that for the people who use it, it'll increase life expectancy by about half. Again, as long as people live. And let's say right now the life expectancy is 80. I'm just rounding numbers. And with this, the introduction of this whole science and its use, for the people who do use it, and generally, you know, I'm not talking about just someone who tries it for a day or a week, but people who use it on a regular basis uh, will would live to be about 120, just from this one thing. That's pretty remarkable, actually. Uh, and I came up with those these numbers because I did a lot of calculations that I'm not going to go through tonight. It would bore you, and it's it is laborious. So let's just assume that I did the calculations, and you can trust me if you want, that uh, I did them accurate enough to get a, get a ballpark number. Well, this is a fantastic issue, but more than longevity is quality of life. And here's what the senses do when you fix all this stuff. They don't diminish anywhere near as fast. The bodies don't age, therefore, near as much. The organs stay intact much better. The The communication between them is way, way better because the glands working properly and the hormones stay better in the place. Everything is really just generally improved by just about 50%. That's a huge difference. So I I hope that, you know, this has given you some, like, whoa, I want to hear the rest of the show tonight because that's why I'm doing this right now because we're going to go to break. And I want you to think about this, that this is no small thing. And when I tell you that this could be done very, almost immediately, I mean it. I'm being straight with you about it, but there is the caveat, and we'll talk about that more when we come back. So we're going to take a break for right now, about two and a half minutes, give or take. And uh, when we come back, we'll go much deeper into this whole area, and we'll break right now. Hun. What book are you reading? It's a novel, kind of, about romance, love, and spiritual life in general. Kind of a novel? What do you mean? Well, it's based on some real-life experiences and even real characters. Some of their experiences are fascinating and remarkable. I can't put this book down. How come the title is Afterlife Love? That's part of the fascination. This book describes the afterlife in intricate detail and even explains why things are the way they're explained. But how can anyone write about or know that? Some of the characters travel out of body to some places that people who've already died also go to. I'm finding it completely believable because it all makes sense and fits into a bigger picture for me. Hun, what happens to these people? You can read it for yourself when I'm done if you want. Better yet, I'll get my own copy so we can discuss it while we read. Let me see. I'll write down the title. It's Afterlife Love by Niles McFlower. M-A-C-F-L-O-U-E-R. Afterlife Love is available in some bookstores and from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com or 480-966-3132. That's 480-966-3132. Hi, everyone. Since childhood, I've had questions about my life and life in general that I couldn't find adequate answers to. Questions like, why am I here? Why are others here? Does the universe have a purpose? And how does that relate to my life? More recently, I've been wondering what happens when we die, especially the reasons why. 
I'm more of a doubter than a believer in many things, and answers that include the wise allow me to think and figure out the truth for myself. I've been reading a book, Life's Hidden Meaning. This one book contains more answers, including the wise, than all other sources I've read or heard. It's amazing to me that every one of my questions has been thoroughly answered. More importantly, I have found that all of these answers so far have checked out to be true. I hope this message helps some of you in your quest for better understanding. The name of this wonderful book is, again, Life's Hidden Meaning by metaphysician Niles McFlower. Some bookstores sell it. I got my copy directly from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com. Life's Hidden Meaning may enlighten your mind and bring some peace and joy to your heart. We're back. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower, and tonight we're talking about the science of Fai Chi and herbology in the future. So, uh, this is a show, again, that uh, deals more with what's coming than what is. There is some science of Fai Chi. It's been, I, I guess we uh, we have it patented or whatever I did with it. Uh, but th- that that science of Fai Chi is only available in a few formulas at the present time. We have, there's, there's a whole bunch more, but they haven't actually been produced. And there's a lot to the science that we cannot be adequately done from the standpoint of the herbs themselves. You see, one herb is not the equivalent of another. And then the question is, is it concentrated in an extract form, or is, is it not, and to what level? And how is it treated in all respects, including once it's made, how is it packaged, etc.? It gets really complicated, and the processing of the herbs is something that there is no, at the present time, real good standards about. Um, it's true in the United States, the FDA supposedly is the Food and Drug Administration, so they consider herbs a food mostly, and so they have some good manufacturing practices that's supposed to have some some benefit. But in reality, the actual growing of the herbs is not uh, is not observed. Nothing nothing's done about that. And here's here's where you got to start. You got to start when you grow these things that you get maximum value of prana and it's consistent. That's very, very difficult to do. There is uh, no measurement method that presently is available. You see, we're talking about a science that has not fully been discovered yet by the rest of the world. And so you need to have the whatever Phi machine available to determine the value of the herbs while they're being grown to see if they're getting enough prana and chi in them in a balanced way to make them effective for the source that you're using. And there are some herbs that are better for men or women. As I said, that women actually have more centers when they're pregnant and than men and less than men when they're not, which is just, I mean, so the difference between men and women in terms of how many centers they have is really confusing. 
And pregnancy isn't the only thing. Uh, the number of centers in a woman changes when, uh, well, before she menstruates and after menstruation ends. So that is a little strange. Now, I'm talking about the minor centers, but this this affects everything because it changes the balance, in fact. So some herbs will be better for young people, but not good for old and vice versa. And who knows? Especially among women, this will be more true than men. Very, very strange kinds of things. There's hundreds of centers. Approximately, we'll call it uh, somewhere between uh, 350 and 375. If you tried to figure out 347, maybe it's but but the point is that a lot of these centers are 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 not well understood either. Um, if you're familiar with acupuncture, all of the or most of the acupuncture points are actually minor centers. That's how acupuncture works on the outside, and it tries to modify these energies by manipulation of the nadus center. Everybody thinks it affects the nerves. Well, it does in some very minor ways, but they're actually trying to change the nadus system. Uh, and uh, the little tiny needles they use has an uh, effect on, it, on the nadus system. What they don't know is that if they use needles other than the kind made out of the material that they use, which is usually provided to steel, uh, they could get all kinds of different results. Copper ones might give you a very interesting effect. Uh, you can use some other non-ferrous ones, which copper is non-ferrous, or you can use something with a higher ferrous content, which would be like pure iron. There's a lot of interesting possibilities, even in the field of acupuncture, that have not been pursued. Okay. Getting back to, to and I realize that you know I can't go off on too many tangents, and we'll never get the show done. But there's a lot to talk about in terms of this subject. So, if we're growing, the, if we're growing the herbs, uh, right at the very beginning, the the whole the, the, the ground you're using, you can measure the amount of chi in the ground before you plant the plants, and you would know if you have the proper chi at the right phases for the kind of herbs you want to grow. And, I mean, that that's amazing. Think of the boom this would make to all plants and to all food throughout the world to be able to match the food to the chi value in the ground and then to the pronic value in the surrounding atmosphere. We're talking about some really big changes in our food supply. And then, after we grow the stuff that we're most interested in growing and we want to get the perfect herbs or the perfect plants, the other factor is we can change the plants still. Even then, and this gets into some things I was talking about, synthetic foods, you can modify the plants further with electromagnetic energies and not even get into the question of chemistry, although chemistry may be part of the process as well. We may take plants and make them texture and feel and taste more like some animal products so people wouldn't eat as many animals, while at the same time you you could balance out all the pranic and uh, chi energies to a perfect ratio for people with certain types of we'll say, leanings in 
feet, and they could use the same or similar machines to measure themselves and pick up the right kind of foods that will balance them out. And the foods don't have to taste different. They could just be different in their etheric or electromagnetic values. Talk about amazing stuff. As a matter of fact, you could buy a general chi pranic food and modify it once you've bought it to match your own body or the bodies of the other people around you that are eating it. So it matches their needs at the moment. Some people are saying, boy, this guy must be smoking something. I don't know, what is he talking about? No, I'm telling you that this is our future. I'm predicting that within 50 years, if it's, if evil is not grown too much, and if we've defeated some elements of it so can't use this for a weapon, this could be part of everybody's life. It could be less than that, but I think within 50, we're going to be there. And I can design this. I think I, I think I know enough about this. I can design it. Maybe somebody else will engineer and build it. But the thing is that Again, the, the danger is that you can take all this technology and you could reverse it into ways that it would become... Imagine if someone could just shoot something at all our food supply and make it so that it's chronically and chi in chi poison for us. In other words, we eat it and it, it, it makes us ill and it kills us eventually. Well, that would be serious. And it doesn't, remember, it could be the food before it's even collected while it's in the ground. Maybe you could do it from outer space, from a satellite. You see what I'm talking about. This is no small issue. And everybody says, well, just just tell everybody about it. I'm sure it'll be okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and if you're really diabolical, you could do it on for the people you don't like or you want to control and be in total control of the whole world within a short order by controlling the value of everybody's food. Okay, that's not too well pleasant to think about. Uh, so I hope that everybody has respect for the power of what this science gives us. It gives us the ability to cure most chronic diseases in most people. It gives us the ability to treat acute diseases with the addition of some drugs under some circumstances. In people with seriously compromised immune systems, you may still use certain kinds of drugs and still use the science with it, and you can get amazing results. So we could literally defeat most of the diseases that we're familiar with. That is a big deal. But unfortunately, it could be weaponized. And the tendency has been in the past, no matter how good the technology is, it moves more into becoming a weapon than it does a benefit. So we have to be very, very concerned about our history and see from that, learn from that, come up with ways to I do have some ideas about that. We'll talk about it in a little bit. All right, so this 
sounds pretty neat, actually, because let's say that you you go pick up some general, you know, stuff, but you got one of the the Fai machines that will read you and then get the food that you're eating or the herbs that you're taking to perfectly fit or come as close to perfect as possible to your own system of body. And you use it yourself. There's, this is, I mean, of course, it might put a lot of, uh, some some kinds of doctors out of business. That's okay with me. Uh, I mean, we all can become our own healers because we're dealing with ourselves from the inside out rather than vice versa. And uh, it works best when you don't toxify the body with drugs, including alcohol, and uh, when you eat semi-nutritionally at least, and probably more than that, in the first place. Now, why, why do drugs adversely affect prana and chi? because they force energies to go from specifically one center to another. And it's regardless of what's best for any individual. It's just the way the drug forces. It's very, very forceful, methodology. And because it does not seek to balance. As a matter of fact, its methodology, if anything, is increasing the imbalance in the body, but reversing those areas that are most ill at the particular time, and it works mostly by symptom, symptomatology rather than by a true understanding of the relationship of the energies. Right? That's how it works. All right, so that in itself means that if you use illicit drugs or drugs that alcohol is not illicit, but it's still a drug, the result is it does the it, un, it creates tremendous imbalances. Now, why do people seek those imbalances? And part of the, the reason is that they want to stop feeling certain things. So they want to mess up their senses because, and their senses come from the major chakras, which are affected by all the minor chakras. So they use these drugs to mess up their major chakras over time. And it... Uh, lessens the feelings they don't want to feel uh, in the physical sense and sometimes emotionally as well. Wow. So that's the problem with the drug use. And the best way around is to try to prove to people they feel best when they're healthy. Of course, you've got to get them to give up the drugs and to get them to prove to themselves that they actually feel better being healthy. And it takes a little bit to do that. And not everybody will respond to that because some people have emotional and mental problems which which causes them to not accurately detect what, what they feel physically. And so they go off in we'll call it illness-producing behaviors because they feel better in an emotive and mental sense, even if it's physically bad for them. And they don't even feel good. And they don't. Most people do not like a decrease in physical sense, but that's uh, that's one of the outcomes. And if it's emotively uh, an improvement, people will still think it's better physically for them. All right. So let's let's look at something else. 
I said I was going to talk about this. There's an astral component to most plants. Now, the astral component uh, treats the astral centers, and there's minor astral centers and major astral centers. And those centers are very sensitive, um, and plants do affect them, so they change the way we emotively feel. They can make us feel one way or another in terms of... uh, whatever is happening around us. They're not physical feelings. We're talking about the astral senses and the feeling that comes from it. Now, if you get the astral body balanced, for a lot of people, that is a condition that feels good. But it doesn't for some others because they have glamorous desires that are fixed inside them, which continually stimulate or like an itch, uh, making a balanced state feel like it's undesirable. It may even feel somewhat painful to put someone with a lot of desires, which imbalances the body, into a balanced state so they don't seek that balanced state. Now, the way to best deal with someone in that situation is to try to lower their glamours while you gradually improve the astral senses through the science of Chi. That's fine. You can't just do it astrally by giving them the correct phase relationship in all their minor centers and instruments because the they won't feel good from it because of their selfishness, which is reflected in the, uh, the self-focus, the glamours uh, that are fixed desires within them, and their desires are not getting that, and they they suffer, in a sense, from the desires not being met and lowering their senses, regardless of how you try to balance it out. So, is there a way to solve that equation? Sure, there is. Uh, you've got to get people to focus out, to love more. Love is the answer. Love is the solution, because it gets the energy and the glamours to become the correct phase relationship to their astral body. And when it's the correct phase relationship, then you just go and use the science of IT and you get the person healthy. And it won't, and they'll like that. It'll feel good to them. But if they're not loving and they're unloving, selfish, then the result is uh, you're, they're going to feel the opposite effects and they won't use the science of IT because they will find it to be um, something that hurts them and they don't like it. So there's little you can do about that. Some people will reject this science for that very reason. Can we uh, ad- adapt the system uh, to some extent, but a lot of it has to do with spiritual development. And in the astral body, you've just got to get people to get, get convinced that love is way better than emotion and stimulation from emotion because the the sense of love gives you a sense of inclusiveness and it builds a sense of God, whereas the other builds only pleasure and uh, a sense of uh, satiation on a very temporary basis of the desire, which then grows and becomes less satiated in the future. So it is 
is only a very temporary sensation to, um, go say, give in to the glamour. And that's part of the problem. There's not much you can do about it because people are like that. And some people choose that. So fly cheat isn't going to help everybody in an emotive sense because it really has to do with how selfish If someone has a tremendous amount of maya, which is retained energy in their etheric body, they may not feel so good from fly cheat to begin with either. But if they discontinue all of the bad behaviors, uh, they've got a good chance uh, if they use it, especially with this new model that I'm suggesting in the future, equipment that reads you and gets the stuff tuned in right, then in those situations, even people with moderate levels of Maya can significantly be improved by the science of 5G, which is a very good thing, because that gives us uh, a room to help people, even in spite of themselves, in a physical sense. And so those are those are some of the limitations that we have to face. But nonetheless, in terms of improving people's health, this is a big, big deal. Now, can you also use drugs? Yes, for acute circumstances. What about cancers and things like that? That's still a chronic ailment, of course. But well, a lot of cancers are related to glamours, and so those still have to be dealt with. The glamours in those people, the glamours though. In those people, deals more with a kind of strange sort of guilt reaction in which the person has done a lot of harm to people, but usually people they know and even care about somewhat, but they've done a lot of harm, and then they deny them. They want to repress, deny the, uh, the, the harm that they've done, whatever it might be. And because of that, that can result in some very serious damage to the astral parts of them, that can, over time, months and years, become a cancer. Other people develop cancers because they have etheric elements that they come in contact with that uh, stimulates it. They may, have, uh, they may have karma, which we would call genetic issues, that leads them in the same direction. And in those kinds of, uh, those kinds of cancers, uh, Phi Chi could be very effective because you don't have to worry so much about the glamours. You can deal more directly with the etheric body, and you can correct the centers that are not balanced. And cancer is actually a part of us that is not acting as a part of us anymore. It's acting on its own. It's got reverted back, cells that revert back to time when they were not part of an organism. They're just kind of on their own. They've lost the ability to be part of the inclusiveness. Now, the reason so many cancers are caused by the astral nature is because it's the anti-love nature. Anti-love causes eventually cells to act like they're not part of an organism. That's cancer. But the parts of cancer, the cancers that are caused by the etheric part of us uh, going awry, that's usually related to what you eat, what you consume, the environment around you, poisons that you might come in contact with. Those sorts of things can lead to cancers. Uh, and those kind of cancers can be uh, dealt with by modifying the body using 5G and also 
hedonistic parts of the environment. I mean, if you're eating poison, it'd be good to stop doing that. If you're um, using some other known carcinogenic sorts of whatever, good to get away from that, too. Now, just because you come in contact with a carcinogenic source does not mean you're immediately going to get cancer. Cancer takes time to be developed. It requires a constant affront to the normal electromagnetic energies that keep cells together and working together. There has to be constant interference, and it needs to be severe enough and long enough to produce most kinds of cancer that are therapeutic in, in uh, cause. And that's only been, at most uh, 20%, probably less for most people, of all the cancers that people do get. If we're going to cure cancer, we've got to convert the cellular uh, reaction to it to a proper reaction. Well, there's a very good understanding about this, and that is that cancers tend to operate the opposite in terms of their, uh, what is called oxidation, oxygen exchange process, and they they tend to uh, they tend to not like oxygen and they really 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 dislike um, correctly pronic balanced oxygen, and uh, that's good by the way, and uh, oxygen under higher pressure seems to cause cancers to uh, to die. So, uh, hyperbaric chambers of oxygen, particularly if you put the right kind of oxygen in them, of course that has to be understood when you put the right kind of um, The result can be uh, really effective for dealing with cancers. Just during the night when these oxygen levels in us fall to the lowest level and cancer grows the most, if you introduce high oxygen uh, levels for just like half an hour at a time, hour at a time, during these times of night, that can be an effective weapon at reducing the amount of cancer a person has. This can even work to some extent on cancers caused by uh, astral uh, causes because they still work their way down to the physical body and you can still get rid of a lot of the cancer cells. Most people don't know the things I'm telling you, but it's all true. Now, if you use the science of Fai Chi, you can block these cells from being able to interfere with this oxygenation cycle, which they do do, and uh, can cause their death much more quickly, which would be good, uh, almost like chemotherapy, but without the bad effects. And there has been, has been some... Uh, uh, recent, in the last 10 years, development of using light to kill cancer. And they found that certain kinds of light that produce the right kind of chronic and chi values. They don't know that, though, the people who are doing these experiments. Uh, certain kinds of light kill the cancer cell. You may not know that, but that's a true thing. So they can swipe them out as if they can get the right light on them, something like that. And so this is a whole other part. And they... Of course, unfortunately, the scientists don't realize that they're really dealing with chi and prana. They just don't, they don't understand that. It's sort of behind the scenes too far, and they don't, they don't, they don't know the real concepts of what they're doing. There's some kind
of illumination that can be done with for some cancers that are on the surface of the body. Also, uh, you can use it uh, for other kinds of illnesses in general. Didn't know that. Yeah, amethyst is a, a, a known crystal that is uh, only seven kinds that works pretty good on some dense physical uh, issues that people might have. And there are other uh, crystals that can uh, do certain healing things for certain kinds of problems. It's a whole other science. And again, I can't talk about it tonight. It's just too complicated, but I thought I'd throw it in here so that you understand that these are all augmenting types of ways that can be combined together in the future. So, you know, you might be using a light room with different frequencies based upon your reading coming from your Phi Chi machine that tells you what, what additional sources of light coming from certain, emitted from certain crystals might be of some value along with the rest of the treatment, including the plant tree or the food sources in general. At some point, it will probably be true that the science of herbology will replace most of what we call drugs. And it will be a science of the past leapfrogging into the future. So something that has been around for thousands in the prehistory, before before thousands years ago, will now leapfrog into a new science that will replace what is somewhat barbaric, which is most of the drugs that are presently produced today. Instead of forcing energies to go from one center to another, it will add or subtract energies and balance them appropriately in each body. This, to me, is, is so, so much better. And we can start doing some of this now. The machine is not yet developed, and even if it were, we couldn't sell it, right? We couldn't make it, put it out there because it could be reversed, engineered into something destructive. But besides that, you don't you don't have to use the machine. You can figure out for yourself what's going on inside yourself and for others. I wanted to teach this subject actually at a local naturopathic college. For a while, they got excited about it. But then there were some people in it who said, oh, we don't want him teaching that to our people. I mean, we're trying to become little medical doctors. We don't want to be naturopathic, really. So we're calling it that because it's a little easier to go through our school than the medical school and we have more openings. But unfortunately, and that's here in Arizona, some states don't even have that yet. But the point is that this was really the place where it should have been taught and where it would work if people just opened their minds to it. But they're trying to be more like doctors than doctors are. <laughs> I mean, my talk about doctors and all medical doctors. So all these naturopathic doctors want to become medical doctors. They want to look like, talk like, act like, think like. Speak like medical doctors. Oh, boy. How crazy is that? Okay, so, if we can increase herbology, which is, remember, that that word means the study of herbs, to the point where 
can grow them properly. We can get them to do exactly, you know, we can custom them, customize them exactly to the way they are needed to be. And then we can super customize them to each individual person. We could literally change life here on Earth. Human beings, animals, everything could be improved tremendously. The plants themselves can be improved. We can make the plants do so much more and be so much better. Plants may even develop a nervous system of some sort. Because if you raise their consciousness, they can have useful a nervous system. And they may even develop some limited forms of animation. They might be able to become able to move, you know, from one place to another. Maybe not as fast as we are, but it might, might give, give them some movability, which would allow them to adjust their relationship to their chi and prana in the environment that they're in, and also the water sources that they're in, which is very critical. Now, water, I should, I should talk about that. Water contains a good deal of chi if it is really ideally uh, balanced in its electromagnetic content. Some water is like that. The majority of water now on Earth is not. We can change the water. The water we drink, the water we use on plants, all the water. Uh, to become much more uh, electro, uh, electro, uh, uh, electromagnetically towards a ideal source of water, which gives the most amount of chi and prana movement a chance to work in any living source. The water is critical, and most people don't know that either. Now we think water is water; it doesn't matter. You know, you can put it, you can get it reverse osmosis, and you get this and that. Take out these minerals, put in that. But it isn't just the minerals. I'm talking about the water itself has a value of chi and prana in it, and that's something that people still don't know for the most part. And uh, this has a lot to do with why some plants do way better because they get better water. Now, if we give the plants the opportunity to change their position in relationship to the water, they might just all flee to the better water for all the time. <laughs> if they could move to some extent, it's a possibility. I mean, these are far out subjects we're talking about, but it is possible. But that could be the future that we're looking at. It's not impossible for that to take place. Fascinating idea. All right. So, what what else uh, do we have then if we're going to actually try to make this uh, herbology work better for us? Now, the other side of it is we need to look at it from this particular standpoint, and that is that everything we talk about in terms of natural foods, in terms of organic, is really the underlying issue is tonight's show. You see, just because you give some kind of fertilizer, which is more organic than that, to a plant, isn't really why the plant is better. It tastes better. Well, we're going to get the taste in a while, but it tastes better. It produces more uh, of healthy conditions. But that's because it has this greater balance of chi and prana at the right phase 
used to provide the organ density to it usually provides, hidden underneath it, the 5G science. And that just, it's just hidden. It's not, it's not understood. So uh, that just leads in that direction. It doesn't do it perfectly just because you're doing organic this or that. But it leads closer to it. So for that reason, that's how come that works. You know, and let me tell you this. You know, the other thing I, I we haven't covered yet is, is, is taste. When people um, have all their senses working well, the foods that taste best are the ones that have the right balance of prana and chi for them. For them. Remember what I just said. Not for the next door neighbor, next not for their children, not for the, but for them themselves. Now, people with similar backgrounds and some similar other habits may be find the same kinds of foods uh, tastiest for them, and they may have that in common because they have the same needs for the prana and chi values that the food that they are attracted to contains. Some people really like very lousy food. Have you noticed that? <laughs> I mean, it's just terrible. And a lot of people would think the food even tastes better or is tasteless in some circumstances. But the fact of the matter is they love it because to their sense, which usually is damaged, of taste, it's the food that contributes the most to what they are desiring in the pranic values and the chi values. And you can ask yourself this, well, why do people like that if it's going to make them sick? Well, for a lot of people, the illness itself is a balancing to other problems they have in their life, and it's almost like a secondary gain. And so, unfortunately... They eat foods that can keep that continue to make them more ill, and keep the imbalances and create the illnesses that the chronic ones that they keep, because those are uh, those are things that they actually want. Now, why would somebody want to be sick? Well, because they have too much fear of life in general. It gives them a way to be more focused on themselves and not on others. And it allows them to uh, make excuses for all the reasons that they are failing or not succeeding or not doing the things that they claim they want to do. So illnesses sometimes are a desire on the part of people. And they eat wrong foods because it adds to the same illnesses. I know it sounds crazy, but it's generally true. And so... This is a problem because what we call our tastes are controlled somewhat by these abnormalities in our sense of coming from illusion of the world around us, which is fed by our fears to a large extent, and our desire to be in control in some other circumstances. So between control and fears... People eat wrong and also are and make themselves more ill. 
especially when it's, we're talking about chronic illness. Now, tell me, this is an unusual way to look at it, but and I didn't realize for some people that I doubt it, but it's true for a large segment of people. And it's particularly true for people who are physically alive. It's very difficult to live physically, and we are in great illusion while we're physically alive. Our senses don't work, right? And the illusion gives us wrong understandings about the universe, the world around us, God, if we believe in that or think about it, and other parts of our life so that we are making a whole slew of bad decisions that includes doing things that make us ill and then using the illness as an excuse for not having to face our fears and give up our control of of things outside of ourselves, which we want in some way or for some purpose to be in control. Because we're, we're personality-driven to strongly, sort of a disordered personality effect that leads to serious uh, consequences. Interesting ideas. Now, if you want to try to change this just by the food people eat, the problem you have is that the people who want to be ill the food won't taste good to them when you make it something different from what uh, they want in terms of their keeping their illness. First, you have to convince them that they want to change their illness, and then they will more likely find the more nutritious foods that lead to the most amount of improvement, using Bai Chi anyway, to, to the best place. But this is also the reason that we offer supplements, because when I say we, the people I'm associated with do, and those supplements are actually designed to get around the problem of the taste, because to the average person, they would want to eat the foods that those supplements come from, but if you can just swallow it and then not particularly taste it, then you can get around this particular uh, problem, which is a kind of a paradoxical problem. The thing that will make the most well is the thing they just want, at least like, want to eat. So you've got to get get them to take it in a form in which taste is not part of the process. You can do it. It's possible to do this. We've even come up with a technology to make the tablets extremely dense so that they a lot more of the herb is present, herbs are present in each tablet. Why is that important? Well, the other problem is taking enough prana in and enough chi in to do the right job of a person's imbalances. And a quantity of pills, just a sheer quantity, can be great in people with chronic illness. A dozen pills three times a day. That's a lot. There are more depending upon how many different kinds of illnesses. There'll be 20, 30 pills. And you see, that's the problem. But if you can get it in less pills, denser, but it still is readily available as soon as you swallow it, then that's a good deal. Because you, know, you get around this particular problem of the taste, you get the right foods, worrying about whether you've got this or that at a particular time, you just take the pills and you Okay, so that's one way around this particular problem in and of itself. Okay, so 
future use of herbs beyond what I've just discussed? Well, it turns out that eventually all illnesses will be treated, to my opinion, through herbology. But you've got to go a few steps beyond where we are even talking today about. Okay, so we've got machines that can figure out how bad the brother is. And then we've got machines that can figure out what's wrong inside each person in a physical sense and when someone asks them. How do you go beyond that to improve the herbs even further? Well, it may be possible. This is a little bit far out there. We're probably talking about a good century away from this brother. It may be possible to make the herbs not dead when you eat them. And you're like, well, what are these like? Yeah, okay. Instead of eating herbs that are no longer capable of doing anything, you may be able to make part of the herbs kind of like little nano, nano food robots, so to speak, but not mechanical, that are still alive inside of us and able to do some things for a while, maybe only a few days or a week or something, and be continually interactive with the uh, centers. So we're talking about living herbs, not dead, dead herbs, that stay alive for a while in our bodies and travel from one place to another, taking on the role of adding prana and chi or subtracting and moving it around in various places so that with each individual, the herb is doing the right thing. Now you don't have to use the machine with the feedback and constantly be changing that. The herbs are kind of doing it for us. But it's still not like putting nanorobots in us, which I think is a little not the right direction to go. And the herbs themselves are becoming an active part of us for a while. We're not going to start growing leaves out of our head, no and branches off of our arms. This is not what I'm discussing. This is not what I'm saying. I'm talking about the herbs lasting in a living state for days at a time, not forever. And it would provide us with a much greater latitude in terms of flexibility and in terms of life expectancy. The main difference would be, because of the adaptive nature of a living herb or herbs inside of us, that we would age much less quickly and uh, we would cooperate with the herbs in ways that would allow exchanges of prana and chi to be much more effective than just using what we call dead herbs, or the herb after it's been ended in life. And this would give us a a tremendous advantage in adaptability. Adaptability is increased life in every definable uh, source of what the word means. So when we get to that level, we might not live much more than 120 years, maybe 125 or 30, but our aging process would be greatly slowed down because the adaptability would be on a moment-to-moment basis. We would be constantly shooting for some value for this hour or that day 
using this feedback machine, which would be very grossly uh, underestimated or overestimated in some circumstances at particular times, whereas having the herbs able to adapt while they're in it for a day to or more days at a time could lead to literally um, reducing aging by 75, 80, 85 percent. So we could look like we're in our 30s or 20s or something like that when we're over 100 years old. It's possible if you include this other idea into the mix. Now, what is the diff- how complex would it be to create living herbs that we eat or plants? Well, um, the biggest change would be that ultimately it, it, <clears throat> the herb would have to be eliminated from the body, but it would be used during the time of its life cycle, inclusive within us, to do these uh, more beneficial parts of what herbs do once they're dead inside of us, but in a much more reactive and interactive way because the herb is sensing what we're doing and roughly what energies are going in one direction. And it's interacting to try to improve the situation instead of just becoming strictly an etheric source of changing the balance and amounts of chi and prana. The herb would be constantly getting feedback and supplying prana on a moment-to-moment basis and chi on a moment basis in every center possible. I mean, this could be extended to all, every minor center a person has, and therefore all the major centers, and each center on a moment-to-moment basis would be ideally set to have the exact amount of correct prana and chi flowing and moving through it. And like I said, this would tremendously reduce aging. Just And, of course, life expectancy would go up as well. Now, life expectancy, as you've heard me talk about this before, uh, can't really go past 147 years. Uh, you could theoretically be 147 and not look you know, any older than about 25, 25 and a half, whatever, years old. You could look very young. But the point is that um, the, the object of achieving that is to do the most amount of virtue, which is create the most amount of enlightened forms while we're physically alive and interact with other people to do this together. But not just people with any any life. But and that includes the herbs now. So you can see how the herbs are going to be benefiting from this thing too. But ultimately uh this can't go on past um three times forty nine because we have three different bodies, and because it, it, it all has to do with the, the seven times seven. Times three. But uh, we can't do it any longer than that because the divonic energies in us just plain get tired. They, they need to have a chance to be more focused on their existence outside of being part of us. And the elemental energy also weakens some extent, or it becomes too, uh, we'll say, obstinate in itself. 
Some of it weakens. It won't hold together the form. We know what that looks like. It's old age and the flat and things flop around. Or something, sometimes they do the opposite. They become obstinate, and they won't take on the correct form. And they become, they they develop into bowls and, you know, scarrings of various sorts and that sort of thing. That is the fact of the energy itself becoming less able to maintain its uh, its native position in our body. We have to allow those energies to eventually get be part of not part of being an organism for a while after they've been inside of us the most complicated of beings in physics to be around here. And so we to give it freedom, the maximum would be 147 years. And something less than that is likely to be what the average is. Even with our sort of herbal perfected uh, foods and, that we consume and that work in our bodies while, we, uh, while they're in our bodies, um, even with all that just working great together, we still have this other side of the equation that you have to have the energy allowed to be free to be energy and to do other things other than being just a part of a life form, a very complicated, very difficult life form, such as ourselves. It is also true that energy goes in and out of us all the time. And as we improve our senses, we get better and more enlightened energy. We can enlighten some of the energy that is in us at any particular time. And some of the energy just plain wears out and is discarded. Or some of it is inappropriately and wrongfully and gets damaged and then is discarded. So this is a continuous exchange system. The object is to keep as much enlightened energy in us as possible and then not for too long a time so as to uh, to turn off that light into, into a darker kind of energy by overusing it for too long. So that's where the 147 comes in. It's okay. I mean, it's always to worry because if you, you get to 140 and say it's time to go, you go to the asteroid, you're going to be living there for many more hundreds of years here. And, you know, life goes on. It's, it's just changing uh, the places that we're living from a very dense uh, material existence like here, where forms are very resistant to change, and where our senses were out dramatically fast, and move on to the astral world. We have a lot more time to live in, but our senses don't wear out quite as fast if we're virtuous, or way faster if we're selfish, which is kind of a strange effect. But in either case, we get another shot at it, and we're not, uh, we're, our consciousness in general will never be lost, so it isn't like we're going away. Eventually, uh, what's left in consciousness in this you know, it's in the lower mental world becomes uh, instantly part of our soul when we leave that part of the mental dimension. And so there's no real death. Consciousness goes on. Bodies die. And the personality, unless it unifies with the soul, usually during its mental world life, and world, world, mental world, the personality will go away because it has never become more enlightened than not and it doesn't have anything to connect itself to that can remain conscious after it leaves the lower minimum. 
doesn't have enough conceptual thought to become part of the soul, unless it has done that during the lifetime before that point is reached in the world we're in, and in the astral, and in the elemental today. Then it lives, it, it, it becomes part of the soul, and it never dies. So everything has the opportunity in us that we recognize as in us to go on and to live fully consciously, and their death is only a condition of loss of consciousness. And that's only resultant of us being selfish, and if we're not selfish, then we don't die. The only thing is to die, and therefore we forget the past, are the things we were too selfish to remember. That's it. It's not a bad deal if you think about it in terms of what I just described. And so, from the standpoint of creating an herbal science that will extend life and interact, uh, now again, this could be 100 years from now, and interact with us to provide incredible improvements in who and what we are. This is absolutely amazing. Now, how do you compare this, say, to the uh, the more science fictional approach, which could end up being real to some extent, of trying to extend our senses and other natures through mechanical means? Well, that's coming too. And there's no reason you can't use mechanical means except that mechanical beings do not lend themselves to the development of consciousness, more to intelligence. And this is a bit of a problem because a lot of people don't understand that. They want the mechanical means to be, well, I can think about anything instantly because I just link up with a computer. Well, your intelligence might go up, but your consciousness may go down. That's not a good trade-off. And the results are not good in the long run. It leads to darkness. So ultimately, the mechanics are maybe of assistance, and at times they may be neutral or even somewhat positive. But if you don't work on the senses in the more native state of the human being, and if you don't improve the bodies and the chakras, no matter what you do to the mechanics, the person will not improve in consciousness and life meaning will drop to them. They may stay somewhat artificially alive for a while, but that isn't going to improve the circumstances. Now, what about just exchanging out organs? You know, we're getting to a point where they might print our organs, literally out of tissue that resembles our tissue genetically, and we make a new heart, a new lung here and there, whatever, and uh, have it replaced. Will that work? Well, those are still organic. Uh, they're not mechanical. But although they could make mechanical hearts, but this, this would be a more organic process. And its potential is there to do good, but you still have the same issues that you have with the original organs, that they will still only need chi, they need chi and prana, and they're going to either get better or worse depending upon the foods we eat, the environment we're in, and our choices in life. Our level of consciousness will ultimately control the situation. So we can get all the artificially grown hearts we want. Uh, our consciousness could still end up destroying our life long before the heart gets 
findings for biology improvements that I've already talked about, and yet include that with some synthetic organs and some other things. Yeah. Actually, you could. It's not, they're not adverse, they're not exclusive to each other, they're not, they're, they're not even uh, a problem for each other. Where, where the problem lies is the question is not about whether we can stay even healthy and well, but can we continue to grow in meaning in life? And so uh, we could reach a point where people want to die because their life is lacking meaning, not because their organs are failing, which is so common today, or because they have contracted some chronic diseases, which makes their life miserable. So even with all the herbology improvements and the science of Phi Chi going into the realms of which I discussed, so the issue still is, have you expanded yourself to the higher self levels of uh, increasing infinitely consciousness instead of being trapped into lower self, which eventually defines us as something that is at least partially selfish. So if we live our life for selfishness, the meaning in our life declines daily. If we live our life for others so that they can help others to do the same, then the meaning in our life dramatically increases. And we don't end up with a life lacking meaning. As a matter of fact, the meaning in our life grows tremendously every day. And there's just no end to it. So... We start living like God is living, because that's what God's experience is. We share God's perspective, and we share God's creation. We co-create with God. Then there is no lack of meaning. As a matter of fact, life's meaning becomes you. And so does our health. And so uh, we may not have to make swaps and organs, or we may choose to do that. It doesn't really make that much difference because the real key is how conscious are we, how much meaning are we deriving from life, and whether this science of 5G eventually does lead us, which it will, to a more spiritual life in itself. Okay, you might say, well, where did that come from? Here's, here's the bottom line if you're looking at this whole question. For people to understand tonight's show from a bigger perspective, be able to adopt it using their life, they need to understand that they're spiritual beings because it's the premise of I Chi is all connected to spiritual development. And you can't separate them. So part of my uh, efforts in talking about this and helping to develop the science, isn't to just come up with some, oh, super cure for everything. That, I want to reduce the suffering of the world because that will improve people's consciousness. But the most important thing is I want people to turn towards spirituality, towards God, and recognize that this is the means for getting the most meaningful experience in life. This is the means for establishing health. And through using these, these methods, you can increase your health, but uh, the bottom line is how 
much are you co-creating with God, which tremendously increases meaning, and that in itself would probably solve the same problems for most people that they're seeking to deal with by just using nutrients and especially uh, herbal remedies. You see, eventually you're superseding what it is you're even treating because it leads you to a, uh, such a higher perspective of life that that is its own solution for most health problems that people have. So the odd thing about it is that eventually the science of Phi Chi, when used as, when it has been used for to develop greater levels of health, becomes extinguished as a need for improving health or longevity of the body or anything because the person becomes naturally a more enlightened person and the enlightenment of the senses and bodies leads to health and balance and all these other things without even using the remedial side of function. Hopefully you, you follow what I just said. I know that that part sounds a little strange, but it is true. And so even though I'm talking about it tonight as though, well, this is probably going to come and we're probably going to be doing this and stuff, but the long run of it is that we won't be using it hundreds of years from now if this whole system works. I hope it will. We won't need it. We won't need it. This is an interim approach to develop us spiritually while we use the approach to solve the problems for not being spiritual enough and for being too selfish, especially while we're physically alive and in the most delusion. Although people in the lower astral subgroups have diseases too. But still, this is a remarkable plan because it's, it's making room now for the real goal. It's moving us towards that while... In the interim, it's a solution for improving our bodies and senses and our lives in general. And it's a better healing practice than the things that are presently available. So we have a lot of improvement from this relatively, relatively right now, obscure science of Phi Chi. And in order to push this to a greater level, we still have to overcome the enigma of evil. Okay, yep, it's that time, just right now, to talk about that and to talk about what what are the ways we can even come come close to dealing with this seeming impossible problem. Well, as you know, I've already said that the dark side tends to take new technologies such as the 5G and herb, changing herbs to better sources and plants in general. Um, it tends to take them and weaponize them, use it for some destructive, crazy purpose. It's over and over again become part of a historical account and too many times to even bring up but we can do something about it. Now, let me tell you some of the ideas I have about this, some of which I'm not going to fully describe. But let's let's look at it from this standpoint. We don't want 
the dark side to be able to uh, make plants unhealthy, destroy the already semi-balanced nature of plants, and even the balance of prana in their atmosphere. If they know exactly how to make prana, then they know exactly how to make it so it won't work for us. Kill everybody, you know. Believe me, they could kill a lot of people. They would. There's no question about it. All right. So how do what what can we do about this? Well, you need to invent a system that only works when it reaches a certain enlightened state. So the machine itself, the science itself, only works when it is properly used and properly created manufactured the whole thing through a system that produces more light than darkness and it can't be reversed. Uh, you say, well, wait a second, that doesn't sound so bad, but how do you do that? Can you give me more specifics? Kind of. What I can do is I can't say do A, B, C, D, E, F, G and you will get the rest of it because if it's down to that level of needing to understand, which is almost no level, you just kind of copy it and do it, then it can be quickly diminished into a death, deadly uh, weapon. Instead, what I'm suggesting is that you create this system and even the equipment so that they only work when they're reasonably enlightened. At some level, that's predetermined and that is too great for darkness to handle. Now, you might say, yeah, but it sounds great, but you have to be some kind of super genius. How could you do that? Well, I don't know if I'm a super genius, but I've actually come up with some ways that work, in my opinion. And I'm still doing some experiments, which I'm not going to tell you about. I have photos and numbers. Um that to see if I can undo and get through the dark breathing. And if I can, then that I know it's not working right. But so far, it seems like this will work. And they're given enough time and possibly some resources, meaning money and uh, equipment and stuff. I think this can be perfected to the point where it can't be reversed, it only is only works for people who are reasonably enlightened. You can't even use it if, it, if they don't have a certain level of that. And beyond that, nobody can reverse engineer it or reverse a period to be destructive, which is the really big part of how you've got to be concerned about. Does that mean that somebody couldn't take what I'm talking about and do some kind of reverse engineering on it and then make it dark? Possible. I'll tell you something about evil people. They aren't all that creative. They hate creative. And because they make more mistakes than not, and the mistakes cost them huge amounts of power, and they need the power to stay alive. So to them, it's a life-threatening situation to be creative. And they don't want to do it. So I'm betting on that, because they'd have to be darn creative to reverse it from the perspective that I've come up with. And I'm betting that that's virtually never going to be true, and so we probably can protect the system this way. I don't want it to be too loosely a problem, though, because I worry that if there's a 
sense what happened. Whereas if, if it's a one in a million chance, then maybe that's worth a try because a lot more good can come out of it. You can see that, I hope. Then might there be uh, a terrible, negative, evil, uh, weaponized response. Also, I'm working on defenses to weaponizing the situation, even if it's down to one out of a million, maybe someone with the jackpot, right? So you still should have a defense to the offensive use of a a good technology that should be enlightened, if you follow what I'm saying. And I'm coming up with some defenses that could stay a few steps ahead of those that would have the fortitude to try to create such an evil thing in the first place. And before I would want to release a lot of this, I would want all that to be in place so that no matter how this turns out, we don't end up destroying planet Earth because we wanted to get rid of health problems and have people's senses work better for a long period of time and uh, improve civilization considerably and make the Earth closer to being the second world. That, all that's wonderful, but not, I don't want to risk, risk the end of the world to get there. So we've got to be able to uh, make pretty sure, pretty sure, that this whole thing can basically work out. And that's what I'm hoping for. I think there is a good chance that we will uh, be able to get there. The thing is, the financing of it is probably in the tens of millions of dollars at a minimum in terms of today's money. And uh, frankly, that's a lot of money. If it was available, I think this could be developed in a year or two, including the, the defenses. Including the defenses. Maybe that's a little ambitious. Let's say within three or four years. But that's still amazing. We're talking about amazing stuff in a very short period of time. And there's so many illnesses and diseases because we don't through this, we'll call it purely hidden esoteric ways by today's standards. I mean, sure, eventually once this gets used, everybody's going to say, oh, well, no big deal because we all use it now. Of course, they wouldn't have been alive from 50 years ago when nobody had a clue of it, right? 100 years ago. Like maybe sometime in the future this will all be like common understanding and people say, Well, you know, there was a time when nobody got it. They were using these poisonous drugs and forcing the centers and it's like killing people left and right and just doing that sort of stuff. Life was miserable because of drugs. Right? And people paid a fortune to get the misery making drugs. Go figure. Huh? And it was big, big business. The uh, largest uh, supporters uh, financially of uh, the Obama campaign and other people associated were with Big Pharma. I don't know if you know that. That's true. They were 
They're up there with the top people giving money. So you can kind of see, <laughs> just by that definition, what how the connection is. Just as an assignment. Okay, so, uh, where does that leave us for the rest of the show? The, the rest of the show, I want to talk about some of the specifics of the science of action. Um, it's going to be a little bit difficult to follow in relationship to what I've already said, but I think that we've come far enough during this show. So you might be able to at least get something out of what I'm going to explain. Okay, so what kinds of herbs affect what kinds of centers, and how come this uh, science seems to be uh, better understood in the East and not in the West? And what, what, what's going on with all of that? And we're going to get down to some specifics. I'll talk about one of the things we discovered uh, is that you've got to have a certain proportion of the centers that are involved affected by the formula or it doesn't work. That means that the sheer number of herbs that you're going to be using is pretty high. Even in the most simple of the formulas, anything less than about 50 herbs is very hard to, uh, to, to make work. So it, 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 one of the problems is that unlike most herbal formulas, where they have two, three, four, five herbs, this has 50, 60, 70, 100, 150 herbs. That leads to a much more complicated formula. And by the way formulas are made, you have to weigh out and you have to handle and balance all these different ingredients and ratios and then get them all to fit together in some way. And that's the problem, is that, that all that technology it makes the, the products very costly to make and uh, very difficult to correctly make. And that's the, one of the first parts of 5G as a science that is different from other kinds of herbal formulas. Then you get into the question of extracts versus the pure herb without it being concentrated. Why do you want to use an extract? Why not just use the pure herb? Well, because the, in each herb, some of the, the parts of the herb are not necessary for, the, for its use in the particular formula that you're using. So it's taking up room, but it's not doing anything for you. So you may want to limit those parts and intensify through certain extraction processes, which you have to be careful the parts that are going to do the most amount of good for And certain extracts do this and other ones don't, and certain processes do and other ones don't. But it's a big deal. And in some cases, you need to use a little bit of both because it's not always just an easy way to determine. Extracts intensify some of the characteristics that you may want in the process of moving chia around or providing certain levels of prime. Uh, the way extracts tend to work is they put more uh, emphasis on the chi side and less emphasis on the prime side. 
if you're looking for a formula that is uh, more chronic in its nature, you're almost certainly going to have to include whole amounts of plants, whole amounts of herbs themselves, rather than just their extracts. You could add some extracts, but you're going to need to have both. On some formulas, if it's specific for a specific thing, like we've got a pain formula, that's uh, 5-T-Jesus. That formula is made mostly for inflammatory responses and pain. That's what its main purpose is. Their extracts are more effective than the full herb because you're limiting it to such a narrow range of uh, adverse effects in the body, which is the pain and you know, the inflammatory responses. And so from that standpoint, there is a way, therefore, to intensify the formula by intensifying some of the herbs uh, to very high levels of extraction. And you get good results. In more complex formulas, where there's more herbs present, and where you're dealing with unknown varieties of site, that requires where you have to have some of the herbs present before and a lot more of them because it's a much more complicated problem. You're not just dealing with some inflammatory response. You're dealing with a living organism that is going to be tricky and uh, elusive and uh, even able to modify itself over literally minutes of time. Every 30 minutes it can modify itself to some degree. So you can have some real difficulties to achieve the kind of results that you need in that kind of formula. And that gets into very complicated and difficult um, manufacturing uh, problems. So there, that kind of formula is even more difficult. You also, in FIT, you're, you're concerned about whether you're dealing with masculine, which I usually use a positive sign for, or a, neg- uh, a negative sign for the feminine approach of how it's going to deal with the center. The feminine approach is to balance the center from one side uh, of the body to the other, depending upon where the energy is supposed to be moving. And then uh, if it's the opposite, if you need, usually it's more prana, if you need more prana and uh, more accumulation of prana in the center uh, or centers that it's connected to, then you do not want to necessarily increase the chi effect, although sometimes you have to do both, and so you end up with what I, I use a positive sign for that, and that tends to be a more masculine uh, effect in the body. Most of the time, the chi is moving from one center to another and then from that center to another, and from that center, it moves, it moves from center to center. And if you're dealing with a collection of uh, minor centers, then you've got to make sure that the minor centers are kept in balance. When that is taking place, then you have to have enough ingredients, enough different herbs, to because each herb affects only certain ones of the minor centers, to get all the minor centers to balance out together while the chi is kept moving and there's sufficient levels of prana at the same time. 
in some cases, you want to remove prana. Now, why would you want to do that? Uh, it depends on the circumstances. You may want to remove prana in a situation where people uh, tend to have too much body weight, fat, little. And you may want to remove prana in circumstances where the energy itself is the problem. So you have you have a factor of the energy, and the energy is doing things that you don't want it to be doing. And so you want to reduce the chronic effect. And there are ways of doing that by getting the chi to be more dominant over the prana in relationship to the prana that's present, to, uh, which, which has the effect of reducing the total amount of prana that's available or energy in the body. And the person may come a little, become a little lethargic. They may uh, become more restful and relaxed. In those formulas, you're trying to maybe help a person to sleep or reduce their anxiety level. Or you may also be trying to um, uh, get them to just rest rather than sleep. And so th- that type of formula is important. Uh, sometimes there's a need to reduce prana in some places that is producing literally physical deformities or problems, like, like uh, stones in the kidney. Uh, kidney stones are literally caused by excess prana development within these tubules in the, in the kidney that is caused by imbalance in the uh, chemistry of the body. And so you want to stop that because making crystals, which are stones, I think stones, which causes damage, permanent damage to these, these uh, tracts, these little areas where they flow through in the kidneys. And the kidneys eventually can't filter anymore because they're scarred and damaged from the uh, stones. But you can get rid of the, that by reducing the product in the kidneys and by increasing the chi in some circumstances or decreasing it in others, depending upon uh, where you think the problem lies in terms of how the stones are being produced. If they're produced from eating the wrong foods and uh, possibly using drugs or alcohol, then in those particular circumstances, you may want to uh, literally increase the chi. And in other circumstances, if it's caused by a sluggishness that's not related to drugs or alcohol, then uh, it, it may be caused by just uh, simply anxiety or other factors. Then you may want to decrease the chi. So you've got to kind of understand the nature, not just of the symptom of the problem, but what the real nature of the cause of the problem is if you're going to make it work. Now, you can also, this is the funny thing about 5G, you can also take a formula, let's say we have, before we do have a formula to get rid of stones, and you can put both parts of the science in there. One part could be to, to increase the chi, one part could be not to increase the chi, and the body actually uses, by its own selection process, is able to choose which one of those two is most available to its needs. And pick, so you might want to go with both kinds, and I've done this in several formulas, and it works. We put in both sides, they see.
seem like they're going to oppose each other, but the body only selects selective weaknesses from the network. And it works. It actually works. And it's sort of not too different from a from an intelligent herbal formula where the, the herbs are interactive, not just dead herbs, but they're actually living herbs in the body for a while. Uh, that would be an even more advanced uh, expression of what I'm talking about right now. All right. So what are the, some of the other elements of the science of watching? Well, generally speaking, uh, you're moving uh, energies not just from one center to another, but from one center to another, to another, to another, to another. And how that all works together is almost like a huge chess game. And you've got to be moved ahead and try to figure out where everything needs to go to complete the process you're looking to do and not create any uh, future symptoms or side effects um, as a result of um, the chi moving up to a certain point and stopping. That would cause a side effect. Usually those are easy to eliminate if you get them by just slightly changing the formula. And uh, within one or two tries, you can usually get that solved uh, because it is so sensitive to the way it works because it is science. And it's not, uh, it's not just trial and error. Trial and error would be all. With these number of herbs, you never get to the right place. You have to understand what each herb, where it affects the body and what kind of centers are being affected. I'm not just talking about a, a good knowledge of the chakras, the seven chakras. I'm talking about a lot of knowledge about the connections of all the different centers that are not spiritually uh, connected centers directly. They're indirectly connected to spirit to the major chakras. So these are minor centers. You've got to know a lot about those minor centers and how that herb is working with the minor center. How do you know that? Well, you read about the history of the herb. You read about how it's been used before. And you've got to draw some conclusions. It takes some study. It's herbology. It's the study of herbs. That's what that word means. That's why it says the science of Tai Chi and herbology in the future. You've got to have a grounding in both. Just knowing the science of Tai Chi alone will not be sufficient to use the science in most circumstances. If you're going to, especially if you're going to create new forms, you've got to have a real strong foundation in herbal medicine and herbs and a study of herbs in historical sense, as well as uh, what is known today. Because what's known today is a fraction of what used to be known. Unfortunately, herbs have lost, been lost in our understanding over time. Since the advent of patent medicines, uh, people gave up on herbs. They thought they didn't work as well. The reason being that it seemed to the a superficial observer, that you took a drug and within a day or two, you got better. Herbs could be a week or two and sometimes you didn't get better. And so people say, oh, forget about herbs, they're not going to do anything. You just got to take a drug. Well, the drugs inevitably have very bad side effects and are only really good for acute circumstances. Not very good at all for chronic ones. They don't barely do anything. And the herbs have always been more effective in general. But it's just that people lost most of the understanding. 
nobody understands how to make it anymore, or what, what, what to do about it. And that's without the science. That's just the, the prior, we'll say, word, you know, uh, oral word of expression and what was written about it. Today, the science could be filled in now with all that remains or could be, can be found in the historical case. To be able to put this together in a way so that it could be far more effective than just about any of the drugs, even for acute problems. Although, I still leave open the idea of having some drugs used for very acute diseases uh, on a short-term basis with herbs. I don't see any reason to use drugs alone. But, and I see some reason in many circumstances, why drugs alone, why, why uh, herbs alone will work. But in some rare, more rare circumstances, where it's very acute, I think drugs and herbs are the right combination. Also, I want to mention, we've been talking about herbs, but you should be aware there's still other elements to the idea. And, you know, when you get down to it, uh, there's much more that's understood in Eastern medicine still than what I'm even talking about tonight. Uh, you, you get into these different ideas of eight different elements in Chinese medicine or or looking at the process of the gunas and, and the forces in the body and the humors and that sort of stuff. Those things are old ways of explaining things that weren't understood in science but were understood in terms of uh, we'll say observation. Having some understanding of them can lead us to a better understanding of the science of Chi because we can convert those more, we'll say, mystical explanations into more scientific ways of using them. It doesn't hurt anybody, and it certainly leads to a more full understanding of the whole situation. Homeopathic medicines are generally the opposite of what we think in terms of treatment. Homeopathics tend to get the body to respond by giving the um, the opposite form of energy to a specific range of um, of centers and getting the body to do the correction system over weeks of time afterwards. It's much slower, and it's dependent upon the body's own ability to respond, and not everybody's body is well enough to do that. It's not great for acute illnesses, but it does work in some chronic ones that aren't too bad, and it's slow. It's slower by er uh, uh, from herbs by many factors, and from 5G, way, way slow. But it does have some advantages. The greatest advantage is that 5G, if you don't get it right, can cause some side effects and problems. Whereas it's very hard to do that by just using homeopathic. So homeopathic has that going for it. It's hard to make a mistake. Unless you consider a mistake not understanding what to do with it and then getting no results could make the person get much worse. <laughs> it would not be what my what my idea of success would be. But you know but there's a lot of 
homeopathic uh, remedies that have some value, even though it seems counterintuitive to add energies that forces the body to respond properly. That's how the body works. Sometimes you just need to get a little kick in the butt and say, hey, I'm adding more of this negative energy here so that you are aware that you're not getting the energy out of this center and you need to move it around. And sure enough, that does it. And so it can be very effective that way. And, uh, you know, I, I like some homeopathics a great deal. I think they're very effective. Uh, and the ones that work fast are the ones I prefer the best, the most. Some, the ones that take a long time, I don't like to wait weeks or longer to find out if something's going to work. So I'm a, I'm a bit more impatient than uh, you you need to be in order to tolerate the use of homeopathic medicine. So for me, some of the homeopathics just don't fill the bill. Homeopathics can work on very long-term chronic illnesses where you have enough time to deal with it. Some slow forms of cancer can be that way. But uh, for acute things, you're more likely to die than to have the homeopathic. Period. Then you need to use a bunch of other methods if you're going to achieve results. You want. You can use homeopathics in conjunction with herbs, and they work fine. They sometimes work okay with some drugs, but not all drugs. Sometimes they are contraindicated in certain kinds of drugs. So you've got to be careful with that kind of medicine. Although generally, like I said, they're pretty darn safe. So that's always a good way of looking at it. Okay? Even though you're taking energy that's supposedly the energy that would make it worse, it, it, your body responds by saying, ah, I got it. I'm supposed to move this energy. I got it. Thank you very much for reminding me. <laughs> it does the thing, and it's, it, it does it great. So it's a fantastic uh, system if you can get it to work on a regular basis. All right. So uh, also in Phi Chi, uh, the use of Phi Chi uh, does require an understanding of the body, the organ, the systems in general for complete use. Uh, for partial use, like, well, I got some Phi Chi music, I got a this pain or that pain, I got some arthritis, if I use this much, then boom. You don't really need to know that much about it if it's, you're dealing with that kind of level of that science. But let's say you've got something much more sinister going on. Let's say you've got some kind of, you know, let's say you have hepatitis C. That's a pretty nasty disease. It usually centers in the liver. And it's, uh, it's chronic. It, it kills you over time, but it takes a long time. Let's say you wanted to use phytogenes and cognitive. Well, it's a virus, and herbs can be effective against some kinds of viruses. But the important thing here is that you also have to look at what is the energy of that disease really doing. Well, if you really understand how hepatitis works and what it's what it's doing, you know, it reduces your immune system against that use that is used against the disease. So the longer you have it, the more T cells and other kinds of cells you got that will fight it are being reduced, and that's how it's sort of like AIDS in some respects. It's not, it's not AIDS, 
but it's sort of like that in a way. And so if you're going to try to deal with it, you need to be using uh, the kinds of herbs that specifically, specifically are viral cytal and viral status together. And that gives your immune system a bit of a rest while the disease is lowered. Because it's, it will stay with you for years, many years, just wearing down your immune system until it can fulminate into a full-blown attack, in which case it can either kill you or debilitate you very quickly, mainly in a matter of days. So it, it, it can sit around for years, slowly eating away your immune system and doing so, certain other damages to some organs, including the liver. But not do that much. You won't even notice it possible. And then all of a sudden, the weak can maybe dead. Could be. So, the correct use of Phi Chi for this is to first get the immune system to be protected by attacking the disease's ability to destroy the immune system and then deal with destroying the disease in total. So that's where it gets into the critical nature of making the formula properly, and you have to make it in accord with understanding exactly the nature of how the disease works in the body. This is true of most of the more complex formulas in using Phi Chi as a science. So it does take a good background in biology. You have to really understand the inner workings of the human body or whatever whatever living organism you're working at, so you can figure out how you want to get to the disease and stop it from doing what it's doing. And that doesn't sound so crazy once you put it in those terms. And it is possible with 5G to completely arrest the effects of a disease within weeks of time, even a very serious disease, such as AIDS, or hep C, or a, a whole slew of other AIDS is a disease that would take months to completely get rid of, but only weeks to reverse most of the effects from in terms of adverse life abilities with the science of IT. As a matter of fact, a, it, because it's a retrograde virus, you have to you have to you have to have two or three ways of hitting it at the same time to prevent it from doing what it does. A direct approach, like against an active virus, like a flu, will not work on AIDS because AIDS can go underground. It moves into the fourth center, the sacral center, the third physical body, and it could just stay there and wait. And it does other, it can go in other areas as well and do the same thing. And it won't be active enough to even determine if you still have it, much less being able to kill it. Yet it's there. So if you want to get rid of it, you've got to have this multi pronged approach that isn't quite as fast, like you said, months, but able to completely disable it. And you literally are going to use the science of Phi Chi in the correct way, which is to get the energies moving in such a healthy way that the disease itself finds no quarter. 
Most diseases stay with us for life and we don't realize them. Remnants of them, traces of them are there. But with 5T, science of 5T, you can actually get rid of the remnants, the traces of the disease over time. It just takes longer and it may seem superfluous to keep taking something in relatively low quantities and when it compared to in the beginning is necessary. But you can get there. You can actually completely eliminate the disease. Now, the other thing that's really helpful to understand about 5G, Jesus, and 5G itself as a science, is that you need to take less and less of it over time, not more. You need to take a lot in the beginning to get the chi moving and to, and to sometimes supply additional prana in various places. But you, once you get the chi moving, then you can start, it's momentum, you can start taking less. So a lot in the beginning, sometimes a real lot in the beginning, and then much less, months later, and then maybe a year later, maybe nothing. So that's how it's used. It's different than, than almost anything else you might have come across because this science is, again, based upon the energy, movement of energies that we are unfamiliar with, and in some cases that there is no yet scientific knowledge about. Now, the, the other thing, and this is going to be the last thing I talk about, the other thing about using the science of Phi Chi is to get the phases as close as possible and some people have their phases so often in their, in their bodies because they're using drugs, etc., that no matter what you do, unless you customize the formula which, through a feedback device, as I explained early in the show, the normal phi won't work for them. That's the problem. So if you don't have enough discipline to keep your body in fairly good health, even if you have a serious disease, the science of phi will not work until at some point we can make perfect formulas for anybody, even if they're all screwed up. And with that, I have to say we're running out of time, but I hope you realize that this science, it is a science. It uses structured thoughts, structured concepts to construct a means of improving us and making us healthy and more well than we've ever been and give us a meaningful life at a new kind of level. That's what our future is going to be like. And hopefully a future that uh, this one thing can make so much suffering and terribleness that we face, and especially as we grow older with all the chronic diseases, they could be completely abated or almost completely abated in most people. Think about that. Think about what the future can hold, how this can really be at some point. The will say, the panacea of medicine. I hope this has been an interesting and a great show. I hope it has been that way for you. Uh, Of course, there's more always to talk about these subjects than what I cover in just a couple, two and a half hours of time. But nonetheless, I hope this has made a difference. Until next week, this has been Niles McFarland for wildlife